reading comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. And if you're following along in your Bibles, it's page 1014. The rich and the kingdom of God. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked round and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Thank you, Judy. Well, good morning, and a very warm welcome to you. My name is Rupert, I'm the vicar here, and a warm welcome to anyone watching online. Let, let's pray that the Lord would speak into all our lives, let's pray. Father God, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the truth that we find within them. And we pray that you'd send your Holy Spirit to help me as I speak, and to help all of us that we might have open hearts to you. In Jesus' name. Well, today we're continuing our little sermon series on the invitations of Jesus. And today's invitation stands out in that it receives a rejection. It's one of those invitations that Jesus gives and the person that he's talking to turns their back on him. Now, I've been reading this story over and over and over throughout the week, but you've just had it read to you once. And so let me remind you what we're talking about. We're talking about this rich young ruler who runs up to Jesus with a question. Now, when you go to the cinema, you may not pay attention to this bit, but I think they still do this. There's a kind of film categorization that appears on the screen and it, it gives it a label. And according to the film censors, 
my development stopped, I think, when I was about 12, because I've discovered that I don't have a stomach for what they think is fit for a 15-year-old. Heaven knows what happens when you watch an 18. And I think the whole, the whole thing, is, has, my attitude has changed. So I, what used to be PG, you know, so long as the parents are there to look after you, a child could go. I turn it on its head. I think so long as a child is there, it's safe for an adult to go. But today's story, if it was a category put to it, would be, I'd give it one label, shocking. Shocking. More than once in this story, we're told that the disciples were amazed and were shocked. And as we unpack it together, we'll, we'll see why. Let, let's remind ourselves what goes on. It's a story that begins so well and ends so badly. It begins with a young man running up to Jesus and ends up with him walking away. Unlike so many people who came to Jesus, this man is not a trickster. He, he is not asking a question to catch Jesus out. From what we can tell in the text, uh, he, he is open-hearted. He's without guile. He begins with a compliment, and there's no suggestion that he doesn't mean it. He says, good teacher. It's a disarming beginning. It's a friendly, it's a friendly beginning. And he asks a great question. He asks of Jesus, what can I do, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Meaning to live life to the full, to have a, a God-pleasing life, a kingdom life. And initially, the quick-fire dialogue between him and Jesus goes extremely well. And Jesus says, well, you know, keep the commandments. You know what they are. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false witness. And the young fellow says, yeah, I agree. I've kept those from my youth. And Jesus doesn't go in to try and contest the point. He, he accepts that. But there's a turning point in the story because Jesus says to him, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, it's very important not to do what I've just done and miss out verse 21. Because in so many ways, this will change the way we hear the words of Jesus. And verse 21 says this, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I find that sometimes when Jesus has really challenging things to say, and when doesn't he? Pretty much everything he says is challenging. But when he says something really challenging, it's important that I hear it through the filter of Jesus looked at him and loved him. I would have loved to see what that look looked like. I have no idea. But it, it's still a vivid picture that we get, isn't it? It changes the way we're going to hear what Jesus has to say when Jesus goes on to say, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. He doesn't say it in a harsh way. Evidently, he says it out of love for the guy 
and with kindness in his heart. Why would Jesus give this instruction to the young man? Well, I think it's very similar to the kind of thing that used to be written on the side of cigarette packets. It, I think they beefed the warning up. But in the early days, if you bought a packet of cigarettes, it said on the side, smoking can damage your health. I think they've made it a lot more in your face now. But Jesus, every time he talks about money and possessions, every time it's as if stamped on the side of a packet is wealth can damage your health. And I'd be less troubled by this if Jesus only taught on this topic once in a blue moon. But he doesn't. He teaches on this topic with a relentlessness and with a repetition and with a brutality that makes sure that his listeners can't miss it. And I think it's worth us just pressing pause and thinking, so why would he do that? Why would, why would Jesus repeat himself so often? And why would he make it so blunt when he's on this topic? And I can only think of really two or three reasons. One is any good teacher always repeats important messages to make sure it gets through. So that's a good reason. If you think a topic's important, you're going to talk about it more and more and more. Judging by how often Jesus talks about this, he thinks it's very important. There's another reason, though, for repetition, and that could be if a message is hard to hear, you go on saying it. Because the more you say it, the more chance it has of getting through. And what's somewhat troubling is that the message is clearer and clearer the more you look at what Jesus has to say in the whole topic. So um, think of a parable of a rich man in Luke 12, the one who wanted to build bigger barns. Think of a little phrase in the middle of the parable of the sower when he talks about the deceitfulness of riches. Think about the Sermon on the Mount when he says that you can't serve both God and mammon. And then think about this incident of this man being given such strong advice. Now, as I reflect upon it, it's not surprising that God and stuff, because that's what really the word mammon means, just possessions, are in competition. And I, I want to throw in a kind of word of realism here, that the competition doesn't start when you own a certain amount of stuff which is just a bit more than you already own. Possessions can possess you when you have very few of them, just as much as they can when you have a lot of them. It's in their nature, and here's why. Because they offer a certain amount of security. Frankly, who doesn't feel more secure when you have more money in the bank? And yet, ultimate security rests in God alone, and Jesus knows that. I, I often think of a conversation heard on the top of a London bus of two people talking to each other, obviously about someone who had recently died. Did they leave much? Asked one. Yes, everything, said the other. And in one sentence, that, that just sets it out. Where is your security? 
obviously possessions offer prestige and a certain level of fame. We all know that. You know, the rich list is published and people want to read it. You can't imagine people wanting to buy a magazine called The Poor List, can you? And the power and influence that comes with the territory, obviously so. And this sense of stability and permanence. You know, one of the reasons that they kept dancing on the Titanic just before it sank was it all looked so permanent, so opulent. It was hard to imagine the whole thing going down. Riches do solve some problems. Now, what Jesus is pointing out to this man and highlighting in his individual case is a very common story. Though it is not an inevitable story, that as riches increase, reliance and adoration of God tends to decrease. And you know you're in real trouble when your self-worth is tied up in your mind with your net worth. Now, I want to reflect just together to understand that when Jesus teaches on this topic, he is still the kind Jesus. And I need to remember that every word that he speaks is truth. In, in John 3, chapter 3, it says, God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world. So the message isn't to browbeat us and make us cower in the corner. It's to walk us into the way of life. And praise the Lord, there are people who have learned the lesson. It is possible to do what this young man found he didn't want to do. You can use, I can use, the possessions we've got, the wealth that we have, to bless others. He was told to give it all away, but he couldn't do it. Poor man. He was told to show himself to be in charge of his possessions rather than possessed by them, but he couldn't do it. And that wasn't the only thing he was told to do. He was told to change his investment strategy altogether, wasn't he? To bank on God instead. And if you like, I think, to invest in the futures market, you'll have a reward in heaven. And he was given an invitation to follow Jesus. But he didn't, he walked away. Now thankfully, evidently, not everyone faced with this challenge does walk away. And God's kingdom goes forward and God's kingdom at St. Michael's goes forward because there are people who have discovered the liberty of following Jesus, including surrendering their possessions to him too. It's not so much a question of your money or your life. I think of it this way, if you can't trust, trust God with your money, why on earth would you want to trust him with your life? Well, the focus of the story, the focus of the film, if you like, changes abruptly at this point. The, the man walks away and that isn't the end of the episode because it's, we're told Jesus turned to his disciples. It's like the man walks off stage over there and then Jesus realizes how shocking this is. And he looks at his disciples and this is what he says, Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And this totally shocked the disciples because 
there's a theme of teaching in the Old Testament, which I think they had lodged in their mind, that surely riches were a sign of God's favor, a sign of his blessing. And now here was this itinerant rabbi saying something quite different. Watch out, your riches could get in the way of blessing. And it is a hard saying, isn't it, that it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I heard a, an American preacher paraphrase it like this. It's easier to drive a Cadillac through a revolving door. I had a child who wrote it in an exam, paraphrase it like this. It's easier to stick a needle in the eye of a camel than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But clearly the disciples were even more perplexed. And then the penny drops with Peter and he blurts out, but hang on, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. Everything. And he's not wrong. He's done precisely that. And he draws out of Jesus one of Jesus' most astonishing and precious promises. No one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And actually, that is the testimony of people who have walked away from those relationships as a result of following Christ. William Barclay, reflecting on this, says, in the early church, this was true, we see the thing actually happen in the life of St. Paul. No doubt when Paul became a Christian, the door of his home was slammed in his face and his family disowned him. But equally without doubt, there was city upon city, town upon town, village upon village in Europe, in Asia Minor, where he could find a home waiting for him and a family in Christ to welcome him. In Romans chapter 16, he tells us how the mother of Rufus was as good as a mother to him. And in Philemon, he speaks of Onesimus as the son whom he'd begotten in his bonds. When I think I, I'd been a Christian for about six months, I ventured into a church in, in central London, and it just happened that a woman was preaching that night called Jackie Pullinger. Now, I'd never heard of Jackie Pullinger at that point, and um, I'm, this is quite some years ago now, and she would have been, I think, in about her mid-30s. And what I saw at the front of the church was this um, quite slight woman, and she was telling a story about how she'd been a student in central London at one of the colleges of music, and um, life was all tickety-boo, and uh, she became a Christian. And she felt that God was calling her to dedicate her life to some form of full-time Christian service abroad. And uh, if you want to read her whole story, and I know some of you will have done already, it's chronicled in a book called Chasing the Dragon. And her story, as she told it, was that she left the UK. Rather an extraordinary way of responding to a call of God. She bought a ticket on a, a slow sailing boat and she got the ticket to as far as she could possibly get. And that was Hong Kong. When she got off in Hong Kong, literally she asked God, what do I do here? And as I listened to her, she told us a story about how she was living there in the the walled city which has since been knocked down. She was living in squalor and poverty and her life was dedicated to trying to talk to people about Jesus Christ. 
and she lived amongst them and over a number of years, her lifetime's work has been absolutely remarkable and um, involves the transformation of so many lives, leading gang leaders and drug addicts to Jesus and helping them through the whole business of coming off drugs, etc., etc. But as she was talking, she was talking about suffering and about the price of following Jesus. But the refrain that she kept using was, but you can't outgive God. And that seemed to come every other paragraph, but you can't outgive God. And it had enormous credibility because of what she had given up. And here she was telling us, I'm reassuring you, I'm reassuring you, God more than makes it up for you. Just like this promise that Jesus is giving your disciples. And I have to say, I found that to be true. I have met with quite a lot of opposition in my life, coming from a Jewish family to follow Christ. Quite a lot of pain and rejection, but I'm amazed at how God has raised up people who have offered friendship, hospitality, and a depth of love I had no right to expect from. But Jesus is saying this after challenging us, and I don't want to lose sight of this, about how we treat material possessions. Because it can be a turning point, a releasing point in our lives to all kinds of fruitfulness if we'll see the importance of what he says. Dr. Johnson was apparently once shown around a famous castle and its lovely grounds. And after he'd been shown around, he turned to his friends and said, these are the things that make it difficult to die. It can happen to anyone. Last week I was listening to... Um, a podcast on the, on the radio and it mentioned someone that I knew absolutely nothing about, someone called Amy Carmichael, who I since learned was a, a missionary to India and she lived 52 years of her life there, never coming back to the UK. And as I googled some of her quotations, I was struck by one of them. She said this, we profess to be strangers and pilgrims seeking after a country of our own and yet we settle down in the most unstranger-like fashion, exactly as if we were quite at home and meant to stay as long as we could. I don't wonder apostolic miracles have died, because apostolic living certainly has. But actually, what really wakes me up in this whole department of possessions and freedom from being possessed is remembering about three minutes worth of a film, which is now quite dated, called A Man for All Seasons. And if you haven't seen it, I, I recommend that you watch it because it, it's very entertaining and it has high moral content. But at a key part of this film, which is um, set around Sir Thomas More, Thomas, who's in deep, deep trouble, has been betrayed by a man called Richard Rich. And they have this little dialogue on the screen. And just before Richard Rich walks off set, Thomas says, Richard, I can see that you've got an emblem. You're wearing a, a medal, a badge around your neck. What is that? And Rich looks a bit embarrassed, and he's been put in charge of the whole Principality of Wales. And there's a long pause, and Thomas More says to him, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul. But for Wales! And, and 
I often feel, you know, when I feel compromised and don't want to let go of something, I sort of have that line echoing in, in my head. You know, think about it, Rupert. What, what's, it, what's the trade-off worth? What's worth hanging on to if it lessens your grip on God? And the answer is nothing, nothing. Many years ago, I remember hearing an American pastor again. I think probably the reasons the illustrations come from America is that by and large, American pastors are less coy about talking about the whole area of money and possessions than we in England are. <laughs> Maybe Jesus was American. No, that's a joke. But, uh, but this pastor was telling us, and I have to say, when I first heard this, I heard it through a filter of deep cynicism. He was telling us about how there was a member of his congregation in his really rather large American church who habitually gave enormous amounts of money to that church. I mean, to an English person, eye-watering amounts of money. And he told us this story because he said one year the great check was missing. And what he said next, I, I, at the time of hearing it, I definitely had this filter of cynicism because he said, so I got in my car and I drove out to his ranch and I got to his house and I sat opposite him and I told him, William or Fred or whatever his name was, you, know, you need to be giving those millions of dollars to the church for your soul's sake. And I was thinking, yeah, and for your balance sheet. But, but actually, as I've reflected on it, I think actually he was being sincere. He was being sincere, the pastor, because he recognized that there's some kind of toxicity had crept into this guy's life. And there was a danger that, like the rich young man, he was going to walk away empty-handed in the wrong sort of sense. Well, as I come to the end, just a couple of ideas as to how we can keep ourselves on the right track or encourage each other on the right track. As I say, the first thing is to remember everything that Jesus says, everything comes from a heart of love. And in a sense, the more challenging the things that he says sound to our ears, surely that's like a wake-up call saying, but don't subliminate this part of his teaching because it's important. Secondly, I find it helpful just to stop and remember what Jesus has done for us. And I know that's a simple thing to say, but it wasn't a simple thing for him to do. He laid aside his majesty, his riches. As Paul would say to the Corinthians, for our sake, he became poor. And for me, the last verse for him, when I survey the wondrous cross, puts it better than I could ever do. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. And on my good days, I know that. And then... Also, if you're in a place where you can talk to someone you trust about how you're handling material things, someone that you know loves you and you can be transparent, that's a very good way of making sure that we're not cheating on God. And to ask the Holy Spirit to show us. Well, friends, um, I hope you don't feel beaten up by this talk because it's not meant to be beating us up. But it's no good walking away from those uncomfortable episodes in the scripture that God's got something tough to say because he speaks truth to power and we should hear what he has to say. Let's pray.
Lord God, thank you that you sent your son into the world to save the world. And we would love to have Jesus look at us and love us. And in our better moments, we would like to hear him pinpoint the things that are causing a gap to appear between us and him. And we tell you as much as we can, Lord Jesus, we want to be as close as we can to you. We give you permission to filter our lives and show us attitudes, show us desires which are unworthy of you. Teach us to walk in your ways, we pray, and restore a joyful heart. And thank you, Lord, for this community and so many faithful people who walk as close as they possibly can to you. And we, we pray, Lord, keep it that way. In Jesus' name, amen.